Hello and welcome back to another episode of Kopio Vitsiso Podcast. Today's episode is truly special as I bring you an exclusive conversation recorded live on stage at the Reason Cydes 2023 event organized by the National Cybersecurity Agency. I'd like to extend a heartfelt thank you to Naxa for the exclusive invitation, allowing me to record this insightful discussion and share it with my listeners. I had the pleasure of having Mr. Abid Adam, the Group Chief Risk and Compliance Officer of Axiata Berhad. We dove deep into the world of cybertrain intelligence, its practical implementation and how it shapes a robust cybersecurity program. Before we jump into the episode, a small note about the audio quality. Since this was a live on stage recording, you might experience variations in the audio levels. You might need to adjust your volume a little bit here and there but rest assured the content is as enriching as always so sit back grab a cup of your favorite kopi o and let's dive into this informative discussion with Abid Adam enjoy the episode good morning and welcome to another episode of kopi o with ciso podcast today we have a very special guest mr abid adam the group chief Risk and Compliance Officer of Axiata Berhad, and this episode also particularly uh, very special to me because I am recording this episode live on stage for the first time since it was launched in March 2023, and I would like to um, thank Naxa for this opportunity, and in the next 20 minutes, you know, using CTI-related uh, information, it's going to be. An interesting session, I suppose. Grab your cup of kopi o, sit tight, and enjoy the show. Right? Welcome to the show, Abid. Thank you. Good morning, and thank you for having me. And assalamualaikum to all our participants here. So, Abid, uh, usually in my show, uh, I will ask the guests to introduce themselves. And for you specifically, I don't think we need a specific introduction because I don't think anyone in the room that don't know you. But you know, for formality's sake. If you have a 60-second version of your profile, how you got yourself into cybersecurity, and what do you do now, what would that be? Sure, thank you. I think currently at Exciara, my main role is being a Group Chief Risk and Compliance Officer, and what that basically entails is looking after four main functions. One is cybersecurity, second is data privacy, third is compliance ethics and integrity. And when I mean by compliance ethics and integrity, I mean more of the legal side of things, like MACC Section 17A and so forth, and then the last part of it is enterprise risk management, which are, it's an umbrella that integrates all the risk and compliance facets itself. So that's my role at Exciata currently. In the past, I have been CISO at many large financial services organizations in South Africa. I am from South Africa itself, and in my spare time, when I do have some free time, I enjoy. Getting up to speed on listening newer on like podcasts on new technologies like blockchain and now obviously artificial intelligence, specifically on large language models and so forth. I'm very sure the extremely compressed version of your profile. Thank you so much. Now to set the context um, with the theme of today's episode, which is cyber threat intelligence, let's start with defining what CTI is. So, in your context, what is CTI? And why is it so important in shaping an organization's cybersecurity program? Yeah. So for me personally, a CTI is number one threat data, and your ability to collect, analyze, ensuring its accuracy, relevant, importantly contextual, and last but not 
least actionable. Because if it's not actionable, if it's not contextual, it's just a lot of noise, no signal. So for me, that is what CTI is in its sort of a raw essence. Now, why is CTI important? For three reasons why I feel CTI is really important. Number one is for de-risking your operations or you know, managing your operational risk itself. And allow me to elaborate what I mean by that. If, for example, you have a large estate and you have a lot of patching to do, so your threat and vulnerability management, we know that if you have a large ecosystem, especially if you have uh, a combination of newer ecosystem vis-a-vis -vis your uh, legacy systems, it's hard to do everything everywhere. So how do you prioritize? How do you direct the teams to focus on things that matter? So in patching or even addressing some of the software vulnerability issues, I think CTI plays a role which reduces your operational risk. So that's number one. Number two where I think CTI plays a good role is ensuring business continuity. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, when I think about CTI data, example, if you are concerned about distributed denial of service attacks, if, you are, if your business largely depends on uptime and availability, your omni-channel or your digital products and services, CTI is a great way to ensure that when you are designing products and services, you are building capabilities that will enhance that availability, that will enhance that uh, sort of a customer experience, ensuring there's no downtime. So that's the second way I personally use a CTI. The third part of the CTI we use in Exiata specifically is decision-making. And I'll elaborate on what I mean by decision-making. Whenever we face any incidents, um, what we tend to do normally is look at, let's say, one country, one opco getting attacked, can we take that information and is it relatable to other opcos which they haven't been uh, experiencing now but they may be experiencing later on. So we take that information and distribute and disseminate. Secondly, when we need to make sure that when we're triaging and ensuring that the right business stakeholders are being engaged, we use that information because we can provide and underpin the CTI data to say that these are the threat actors, this is the attack types we're seeing, and I can elaborate on some of the things we've seen even during Russia-Ukraine war when the war uh, kicked off and how that data helped us make some uh, decision and help even some of the SMEs that we were working with. So I think by and large in IR case and also in guiding the business proactively to address some of the issues, we use CTI which enables our decision making. So. Some of the key points that I captured earlier was that, you know, you mentioned about ability to context and, and actionable, right? So if the information that you're collecting is not actionable, then it cannot be called CTI, right? And you also mentioned about uh, some key stakeholders that are consuming these CTIs to make informed decisions, right? And, you know, the sort of decisions that they are making in enhancing your risk management processes or cybersecurity program. So that leads me to my next question. Right. You know, we constantly talk about the ever-evolving cyber threat landscape, right? And then we talk about the, the importance of having a robust and adaptive cybersecurity program in place. And to have the robust and adaptive cybersecurity program, I suppose CTI is a critical component in the overall cybersecurity program, right? So, and I know that cyber threat intelligence are typically used in three different levels in an organization, be it strategic, operational, or tactical. Mm -hmm. So in your context, how do you consume or use these three different levels of um, uh, CTI 
to develop your cybersecurity program. Say, for instance, if you are looking at building a, a new three-year roadmap for your conglomerate cybersecurity program, how would you consume CTI at these three different levels? Oh, that's an excellent question. So allow me to share with you Asiata's journey. In, I was appointed as a CISO end of 2017. My uh, first board meeting was in January 2018. Back then, Tansri Azman Mokhtar from Kazana asked me, a bit, go and develop a three-year strategy and, and come back to us and tell us what needs to be done. So we started this program called Digital Trust 2020. So it was 18, 19, 20. What we did is, when we were developing that program, we looked at some of the sort of almost scenario modeling type of uh, exercise where we used even a CTI to say what could be a potential impact. Mm -hmm. uh, and even we use uh, stuff like value at risk because we needed to quantify. I was the first CISO at Exiato. We never had historical data to say, okay, we will see a text X, Y, Z, and this is why you need to invest in this program. So what we did is we did scenario modeling underpinned by CTI data, calculated that to a value at risk, and then presented that information. And we have then used that practice till today. So example, the first strategy was 18, 19, 20, and it was Digital Trust 2020. At the end of 2020, we developed a next three-year strategy. It was called Digital Trust and Resilience 2023. And we again used that data, and it was a three-year rolling program. As I speak to you right now, the team is busy developing the next three-year strategy. So the question we're asking ourselves at Axiata right now is, what does a year 2027 look like? Right? And everything we can anticipate that's going to happen between now and 2027, we start the program today, by end of this year, and build that capabilities across because we know it takes time to change the organization both culturally and obviously technological infrastructure changes. So in our view, when we consume CTI at a strategic level, we consume it to obviously make some informed decisions where we don't have all the answers, but we are trying to decipher what would be potentially unknown unknown and how does CTI feed into it. So that's at a strategic level. Then you ask tactical and operational. Tactical level, we have got a cyber fusion center that uses it a lot in the IR space. We use it in TVM space, and we also use it in sometimes forensics and uh, sort of in a way because we've built active offense and active defense capabilities. So the red teaming uses it quite uh, extensively to build that, obviously, the threat maps. And at a very sort of uh, operational level, we work with IT operation and then obviously developers itself for DevSecOps, where, example, right now, we have so many vulnerabilities say, internally that we need to reduce. So then how do we accelerate the prioritization? How do we queue that up to make sure that the right things are getting into the or conveyor belt, for lack of a better word, here. So we use the CTI to reprioritize because at Exiata, we manage on a very tight KPI internal and external vulnerabilities. In fact, we measure the internal and external vulnerabilities and report it to the board every quarter. And I can confidently say across all of our operating companies we operate, for our external uh, assets facing host, external vulnerabilities, at least a significant and critical or high, we will be less than a single digit, if you are even in single digit. So, and we, I mean, in 2018 when I started, it were in hundreds. Today, if you're like two or even three critical or significant vulnerability for external facing hosts, 
there will be a lot of questions asked as to why can't you close this out. So that we use CDI to say, okay, we feel that the organization and the business is significantly exposed. Here's the reason the threat actors are using this currently in a live environment, and therefore the business exposure is high, and therefore management and the business needs to do something about it. And that's how we use it at the operational level. So many excellent points that you made to talk about from hundreds of vulnerabilities to bring it down to a single digit that's a impressive fit, right? And I'm very sure that many of us in the room are still grappling with, you know, managing the, the plethora of vulnerabilities that are being discovered on a day-to-day -day basis. But one um, important point that you made that captured my attention is that you use CTI for more like a forward-looking plan. You mentioned about something like 2027. I'm curious, how do you do that? Because it's a, it's a very long time horizon, right? You know, given how rapidly things change, how do you then use CTI to sort of like, you know, do that long-term roadmap? So let me give you an example. In, I think it was 2018 or 19, uh, I can't remember exactly, I think it was 18 or 19, CrowdStrike released a report. In that report, they said that for an organization at that point in time to be able to put up a good fight with a threat advisory, they need to have a ratio of 11060. One minute to detect, 10 minutes to respond, 60 minutes to remediate. Okay. We were nowhere there in 11060. So the question we asked and the sort of the thinking we did is, what do we need to do from where we are today to get to 11060 at some point, let's say in three years, five years? Okay, because if the threat actor has that capability today, and obviously they use names of Panda and all of that stuff, so let's say because we operate across broad region and we see uh, activity, especially when there's a geopolitical tensions going on, we see a lot of activity happening in uh, some of our markets and obviously because we are mobile carriers and critical national infrastructure sometimes we just um, Proxy between all these countries kind of you know going at each other. So the, the sort of the mindset we had is okay. This is the adversary we more potentially will be facing. Okay If our ability to withstand this attack requires us to have the 11060 kind of capability because the CrowdStrike issued that report and these are the threat actors we will be facing what do we need to invest in today? And back then already around 2018, we rolled out EDR across all our operating companies. We invested significantly in detection and response capabilities where we build our own centers. We build active offense capabilities because we knew that by being just purely monitoring, when something does happen, we will not be able to have that 10, sec 10 minutes response because it's the first time we're picking it up. So in order for, and then obviously there's a lot of work going on even as we speak on rapid automation. And automation requires a lot of simplification on architecture. I mean, I can go on on all the things you need to fix to get to 11060. But you asked me a question as to three years is a long time, four years is a long time. How do you use CTI to uh, help build your capabilities and shape the cybersecurity strategy? Uh, one I could think of the heart is the 11060 from a CrowdStrike report that was come, uh, that brought it in. Obviously, they give a lot of detail uh, around what needs to happen, like strengthening multi-factor authentication. So, for example, even before COVID came in, we had MFA rolled out. In fact, in XCR Corporate Center, we went passwordless way before then. We were the first Microsoft client in whole of Asia to roll out completely passwordless. 
So it wasn't even something that we were saying multi-factor authentication. So all of these implementation of technologies comes in from a strategy. Strategy is informed by various sources of data that you look at. Of course, some you have to make educated guess. You will never have 100% all the answers, everything, because nobody can predict future. Like example, we couldn't predict the chat GPT or large language model, pervasive use of it in a, such a short period of time, three years ago in 2017 or 18. So, you know, I think in a, in a sense, we use the data to build capabilities. We evolve and pivot where we need to based on obviously the current threat landscape. So let's switch gear and talk about risk management, which is your forte, mm -hmm. right? We know that risk management is important, integral to an organization's cybersecurity risk management. I think um, it is also uh, important to integrate CTI in the broader risk management uh, uh, program because CTI gives you the ability for you to understand your adversaries, right? Whether their capabilities, their operations, their motivations and whatnot. So from that perspective, how would you describe you consume CTI to enhance your risk management strategies and processes? Well, it's, it goes back to my earlier point where you do scenario modeling because in your scenario modeling, it gives you some perspective of what's the best case, worst case, and your base case, all right? So when you go and present to the board, then you can say, look, if this happens, the best case I feel is A, B, and C. The impact to the organization is X, Y, and Z. Therefore, you need to invest on whatever you need to do. Or here's the exposure the board needs to be aware of. Worst case, this is what done mm -hmm. the underlying point sees, and this is how we're doing. So scenario modeling helps because our board has asked us to be more forward-looking. Um, I mean, we balance between what has happened previous quarter vis-a-vis what is emerging risk. Mm -hmm. And the board is more interested in knowing emerging risks. Now, in order for you to have a conversation on emerging risks, you have to do some sort of, in, let's say in cybersecurity world, in a technical language, we say threat modeling. At the risk management level, you do scenario analysis. Threat modeling is a data you feed into scenario analysis exercise because you're not going to do threat modeling for sake of doing threat modeling. And ultimately, if you're going to speak to the board, it has to be speak, you have to sort of convey a message in a way that says, look, okay, you want to, I can give you a very good example. There was one of our operating companies who were launching a cloud product. And in the country they operate, they are the number one uh, enterprise business provider to many companies on cloud product. So the business, I remember, I was, I remember very clearly, I was sitting in this uh, risk management meeting. One of the product uh, leaders came to present uh, to the CEO and it was all the sort of his uh, CXO minus ones. They say, here's a cloud product, here's when we want to go live. However, we have this vulnerabilities and we potentially think that uh, this obviously threat actor is exploiting, How, but we have communicated to the market that we are going to go live by end of this week. Um, now we have this conundrum to resolve. The CEO looked, he paused, he thought, and he said, uh, well, if you have that data that says that you have a threat actor that is exploiting this, the, com uh, the company's reputation and the integrity and the trust is more important than going live by end of this week because we communicated defer the launch of the product till you get this sorted out, get this sorted out, and then we relaunch a product, communicate it to the market. So that's a very precise example of how CTI can help business make decisions, informed decisions, go-no-go no go decisions on product side that helps 
obviously cybersecurity team injects that and that helps the organization build trust and reputation. I guess that's the core of why a cybersecurity team exists and why CTI exists. Right, right. The, I mean, the clock is already in the red zone, but you know, I want to speed up a little bit. I do have a couple of questions. Um, moving on is on, you, know, you are the group chief risk and compliance officer of a telco conglomerate, which means you exist or your businesses exist in multiple jurisdictions. And then, you know, I'm sure you're also acquiring many other businesses, and the latest one would be very soon, Digital Bank, right? Mm -hmm. Which means you are grappling with unique set of cyber threat landscape in various jurisdictions, mm -hmm. right? So from your vantage point, um, and, and having talked about the three level or three different levels of uh, CTI, in your context, how do you use CTI to do your job? especially we are talking about the multi-jurisdictional uh, perspective of your business. Well, I think the advantage we have on multi-jurisdictional is we see, as I've mentioned earlier, on attacks happening. Like when Russia-Ukraine war started, we saw threat adversaries using Indonesia as a proxy to bounce off attacks going back to other countries. Um, when there is U.S.-China tensions, we can see countries like Cambodia being used as a proxy to go back attack and so forth. So we use that information. And CTI does not always mean uh, bought or purchased CTI. You could have an internal threat intelligence. Ultimately, right. it's about data. Threat, as I started, what is CTI's threat data? So we look at the threat data. We look at the way the uh, attackers are uh, sort of, you know, using their uh, tactics, tactics, and procedures, and then we build our use cases and make sure all the operating companies that we are monitoring from our uh, cyber fusion center are covered for that specific attack. And obviously, if we see that they're exploiting specific vulnerabilities, we communicate that information to all the operating companies and make sure that they patch that machine, th those environments, and there's a, uh, obviously then we run a TVM to make sure that there's no vulnerability exposure and so forth. So I think that's one very practical way in which multi-jurisdictional setup mm -hmm. is used, that I use it specifically to manage the risk exposure across the operating companies. Perfect. Now, my second last question is, I would like to pick your brain on some kind of recommendation. If someone were to start a CTI program, right, where do they start? Like whether it's a tactical level first where, you know, you start collecting uh, the important or pertinent data and start building the bigger picture, or you start at strategic level, like, you know, for instance, a CISO of the company joining a cybersecurity or cyber threat intelligence community, and then they talk to each other and say, hey, did you check out, you know, the latest reactor, and then you build it downward. What would be your recommendation? I think you have to do a few things. Like I said, when I joined Asiata around 2017-18, I was the first CISO. In fact, I was the first person to kick off the, the function. But I knew very early on that in order for us to be successful, we have to build a community and we have to work with internal and external stakeholders. Uh, I don't know now, but when we got, we example applied for FIRST accreditation, we were the first telco across all of our opcos that we are operating to be first accredited because I knew that that allows us an input into the data points that we may not, we may take a long time to get there. And then secondly, I think for any CISO that's venturing out on this journey, don't rush into going uh, and buying uh, a sort of a subscription. I'm not against that, 
but you need to have an infrastructure that supports that. Otherwise, you're just going to buy the CTI. You have no uh, underlying infrastructure that's set up, and you're not going to be effectively utilizing it. So I think take time first to build what is available freely, reach out to the communities that will be able to help you. Once you have gotten to a level where open source plus internal data is where you say, okay, I've gotten it out, then what is your business case for the top up? your open source, uh, your subscription models. And then that subscription model, does it justify the investment? And then you can obviously explore, you know, purchasing uh, other CTIs that you're looking at. That would be my suggestion to anyone who's exploring CTI at the moment. Brilliant. So that's all that I have about CTI. And, and one last question that I always ask all my guests um, about your personal life, like, you know, having shared your current role, your experience, and we also had off-stage discussion earlier, seems like, you know, it's really daunting, right? You know, you're talking about a huge conglomerate in multiple jurisdiction. So what do you do during your spare time, and how do you balance the demand of your work and your personal life? Well, I think I have a very regimental routine, so I try and follow the routine. I get up early, I sleep 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock, so when I get up as early as five, sometimes four or five. Um, I use the first part of the morning for me time, so my prayers, exercise, whatever I clear my mind. Um, in the evenings, obviously, I try and spend sometimes with family itself, so I think that kind of balances out my work life better just as much as I can. And when I do have time, and especially when I travel a lot, I always carry a book, and I always enjoy reading and listening to podcasts. So that keeps me updated. When I drive, I never listen to music. I, like every moment I have, I try and consume audiobooks, whether it's Audible or podcasts, to keep me updated. So in that way, when my day is consumed with all the meetings and work, I'm still kept abreast of the developments that are happening globally and regionally. Fantastic. 20 minutes definitely not enough. <laughs> we can go on and on about this topic, and I hope that you know I can host you again. Um, usually, my recording will be up to about 60 minutes. And for the rest, if you haven't checked out the podcast, go and check it out. It's called Copio with CISO. It's available on major podcast platforms like Spotify, Apple, and also Google. So with that, thank you a bit for coming on to the show. Thank you, everybody, and thank you for hosting me. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Sevanabhan and Mr. Abid, for such an incredible session. Copio with Sizzle was brought to you live from Zydas 2023, sponsored by Lai Coffee. Don't forget to share this episode with your friends and colleagues on Spotify and Apple Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, can we please give them another round of applause and for us to be able to witness a live podcast recording. <laughs>